Merry Christmas. I learned a lot about our church today uh, when I watched 15 cars pull into the parking lot at 9 (laughs) o'clock and pull out. And then I just ran into two of my good friends who've been coming here forever who asked me frantically, where was the child care? And so what... uh, I think that's awesome <laughs> because, uh, yeah, we, we miss things, don't we? So um, I, I'll uh, connect that up with the sermon in just uh, a couple of minutes. So um, I want to read to you John uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 29. This Advent, uh, for those of you who haven't been here the previous three Sundays, we've been looking at, at a, a different portrait of Jesus. And today we're going to look at Jesus as, uh, as our sacrifice. And so I want to read to you. Uh, From the Gospel of John, the first chapter, verses 19 through 29. That text is in the bulletin, and uh, which I understand a lot of you don't have, and uh, which is a good thing too. Uh, It's better to run out than to have too many. Uh, uh, But it will be on the screens behind me. This is the Word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What a great question. And we learn a lot about John by how he answers that question. What did he say about himself? Oh, I can talk about myself all day long. But what did he say? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So is it possible to miss Jesus? Scott, you can go ahead and put my notes up there. Uh, could you miss him? Could you? Um, apparently so, right? So this delegation of experts, out of everybody who lived in the world, who should have been able to pick Jesus out of a crowd? The Pharisees, the scribes, right? They, they, this is what they've been trained to anticipate. This is what they've been trained to, to look for. So they should have been able to say, there he is. And John stands there with a crowd around him there by the Jordan River and he looks at them and they say, well, who are you? He's like, well, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Elijah. Uh, All those uh, characters who were supposed to come uh, before the coming of the Messiah. But he said, there's one right there among you. Just imagine their shock and their heart that just somebody standing in the crowd just like them was the Messiah. So apparently, apparently, uh, we we could miss him, right? So he says he confessed and did not deny. He was very clear with them. Listen, I am simply one here declaring, make straight in the desert, 
the way of the Lord. Here he comes, and there he is. Now you would think, I mean, I, I would imagine that the way we, we think about this, to kind of cut them some slack is that he just said, he's here. But my guess is he pointed right at him and said, that's him. Behold the Lamb of God. That's him who takes away the sin of the world. And we would expect when he did that for everybody to stop what they were doing, get down on their knees and say, this is awesome. But it didn't happen that way. Right? So apparently, with all that goes on in our lives and all of our expectations and all of those sorts of things, Jesus can show up and you not even know it. Hard to believe. So hard to believe, right? Next slide, please, Scott. So what a devastating uh, critique. The uh, Apostle John says that Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So what I want to do this morning, uh, as uh, straightforwardly and as quickly as I can, I talk to you about Jesus as our sacrifice. And I don't want you to miss Jesus as your sacrifice. And I don't want you to miss two things about that. One that's a little counterintuitive and one that is very straightforward. So one of the things uh, that you have to see uh, about this, next, next slide, uh, please, Scott. Um, have you ever considered what it was like for Jesus to take on flesh and walk among us? And there's all sorts of ways you could illustrate that. Some of the things I've read this week talk about the judge sitting in the judge's seat, stepping down from, from there and sitting in the place where uh, the accused sits. Pretty powerful picture. Um, but one of the things that I think that we might miss about that are, are the fact that he was limited or those sorts of things by taking on our flesh and living in a world with limitations and, 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 and those sorts of things. But one of the things that I think that you might, uh, 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 that would be intolerable for most of us is what would it be like to go through life and people not see you? What would it be like? Well, most of us think we, we've had that experience at some time or another, right? Where, where you know, we thought we mattered a lot more than we did, and apparently we just didn't. Well, here's Jesus walking through the earth, and one of the things that is it would have been so hard to him with all of the witness to him and by him, even his closest community missed him. His own followers did not know who he was until after his resurrection. Just imagine the loneliness. We think, we think of ourselves as, as struggling relationally. We think of ourselves as, 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 you know, being lonely. Nobody really understands me. Um, but nobody really did understand Jesus because there was nobody ever like him. Um, a few years ago, um, a dear friend of mine was struggling with the fact that her children were just average in her world, just average. It's okay to say that, right? We're uh, like Lake Wobegon where all the kids are above average, right? So hopefully, uh, which if your kids are just average, then that's devastating, right? Um, and she was concerned about it. So I came across a Christmas card that showed some uh, first century people on camels, couples, moving away from us, and they had bumper stickers on the backs of their camels. Like, my kid is an honor roll student at uh, Nazareth High School. 
Uh, my kid is captain of the football team at Bethlehem Middle School. And then there's the third one that said, our son is the son of God. <laughs> right? Which kind of stops the conversation, right? But think about that. Nobody else. He alone. He alone was the Son of God, and no one else, uh, with the discouraging loneliness he must, that must have warred against his soul day after day, there was little or no empathy for him, because no one else has ever been or done what he was or what he did. And so one of the things you, I want you to see about this is that the, the very presence of Jesus, the very fact that he came here at all, was the beginning of the process of his sacrifice. He was giving a blood. He suffered a lot day in and day out as a human being. Now, now we may, we, we, we tend to skip over that and we tend to not to think about that. Well, he was God and he could do whatever he wanted to, but he was a human being by himself, uniquely uh, misunderstood and uniquely missed, uh, unlike almost any of us ever have been. Next slide. So Jesus certainly teaches and demonstrates love for us in his incarnation. Because it would take a lot of love to put yourself in a position where you're misunderstood, lonely, missed, invisible largely, right? But he also firmly rebukes our conception of community. And so there's, I'm about to do, to, to say something here that I think is pretty challenging and worth thinking about. Um, and it's about our ideas of community. What kind of community did Jesus come to? What was it like for him to be in community? The way we tend to think about community in our day and age is it's that it's a voluntary collection of individuals around a common interest, persuasion, viewpoint, or stage of life. That's the way we tend to think about it, right? That's our community. People that agree with me, people that do the same things I do, people that have the same perspective that I do. And, and as far as that goes, that's fine. That's fine. That's good. And we should all be in groups of people who are just like us and affirm everything about us the way we want them to affirm it. Right? Isn't that, isn't that what, isn't that what community should be? Right? So, so if we look at Jesus, we'll see a few problems with our, uh, our definition. First, if it's a voluntary association that I can move into this community and I can move out of it, I'm the one that's in control. So if it's just voluntary, I can come in and I can come out. And I, you know what? Nobody wants to hear this in America. Because in America, you know, we're all about choice. That's what the internet provides us. That's what the airlines provide us. We can come and go. We can associate with people. We can build our community online with people that we never see. Because we agree. And, and they like whatever, they, they hit the like button whenever I'm on there. Or sometimes the love button or, you know, the emojis, right? Whatever, whatever they are, right? But I'm the one that's in control. Jesus makes himself vulnerable by stepping into a community that would not 
and did not receive him so that he could be their redeemer. Jesus comes in the flesh to a place and time and peoples, very specific, right? So the community is not something that's virtual, and there's the community is not something that he just that where where everybody gets uh, agrees with him or whatever. He comes to a specific community where he is not received. But what makes it so terrible are they're his people. It would be like you coming home for Christmas, and the people that you're coming home to don't receive you. Don't want you in the house. Tell you to go somewhere else. You're not welcome here. That's what happened to him. So Jesus comes in the flesh to a specific place and time and people. The people he comes to with all of their problems and bad breath and sweaty palms and an overwhelming focus on their own concerns that keeps them from seeing him. Because this is what happens in community. If you if you're in community with people, one of the let me tell you how, one of the ways you can know you're in community with people is if you can smell them. Okay, you're doing all right, Jake. You smell good this morning. So, so and if we look at the ways uh, in which we're currently trying to live in community, we'll discover that we're attempting to get the pros of community without any of the perceived cons. True, we, we've realized that we can't live alone and that we want and need our lives to be shaped by others. But in choosing the specific communities we want to be a part of, we're betraying the fact that we still, deep down, want to be the center of our own universes. We only want to be shaped by others in the ways that we want to be shaped by others. Let me just say that again. We only want to be shaped by others in the ways that we want to be shaped by others. And that's not community. Right? Rather than being something centered on a shared perspective or idea, community is rooted in a place and deeper still shared humanity and history. Community is not an echo chamber for a group of politicians or painters or whatever your CPAs or whatever your particular thing is. Community is sitting in the living room with a group of relatives with whom you have nothing in common and recognizing that they are worth your time. It's staying close to home because dad can't work as well as he used to. It is tense political conversations, school plays, and funerals. It's a God who identified himself with a people who wanted nothing to do with him and united himself to them against all odds. Any sort of community that avoids personal discomfort or inconvenience cannot be honestly described by the term. The truth of the matter is, we don't get to decide who our people are. Our people are our people. Praise God. Our people are our people. It's a painful thing. But like all the greatest stories and pleasures in life, pain is a necessary ingredient. If we're really committed to defying the American idols of independence and self-interest, we must embrace the pain that comes with the pleasure. The unavoidable reality of true community is that we don't always get what we want. But what we want isn't always what we need. So to choose daily the people, places, and limitations that we have received, this is what constitutes community. And this is what makes life worth living. You see, Jesus demonstrates his love and sacrifice 
by the community he makes himself vulnerable to. That's what he connects to. That's, that's, that's exactly what he does. And so we see sacrifice. We see love right there in the fact that he identifies with people that don't, that, that, they're just tough. They're just tough people to be with. And, and, and not only that, not, not, not just that they're particularly a, a group of people who are, you know, terrible people or anything. They're just like us. They're consumed with their own lives and their own concerns. And so because of that, they miss the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, so let's, let's think a, a second about the second way that we see Jesus' love to us in his sacrifice. John says something remarkable about him. He says, there's one that comes after me and I am not worthy to even tie his shoe. And, and he is, uh, uh, he is the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mentioned this last week in church that to a first century Jew, the, those words, the lamb of God does not conjure up some kind of cute agricultural image, but conjures up for us what happens to the lamb at the Passover. It would have conjured up for them the the thought of the way that the people of God escaped slavery and escaped God's judgment upon uh, the Egyptians was through the shedding of blood of the Passover lamb and that blood being put over the doorposts of their houses. And so what we see in, in the midst of this one, John declares that he says something about the very identity of this one who came. And these people will reject him. And yet, even though they reject him, he is the Lamb of God, not a Lamb of God, but the Lamb of God, the one who only he, because he was unique, because he was the God man, because he was the God who had taken on flesh, who could do what we could never do for ourselves, and that is Take away the weight of the sin of the world. Only he could bear that. He was the only one. And so when John says the Lamb of God, that's what he's getting at. Jesus, the uniqueness, the thing that made life so hard for him is the thing that guarantees for us our redemption because he was the only one who could do and achieve what must, what, what had to be achieved for us. And so in whatever else way you may think about Christmas and whatever else way you may think about what, what you, we experience and what we celebrate, the thing that we recognize is, is that with the words of John, this one who is the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world has come. And he has done what we could not do. And he has borne the weight of our sin so that, so that we are set free. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And he has come and done only what he could do. And that is, he procures for us the forgiveness of sins. I don't know what you're thinking this morning. You may be thinking about the food you're about to eat, the people you're about to be with. Um, God forbid that you got to go shopping this afternoon. <laughs> I can tell you, uh, uh, I can point out to you here in the West End where I'm sure some of the angriest places on the planet are 
And it will not be in your houses, but it will be in some parking spaces and near the mall. I don't want to see any of you on the news. Okay. <laughs> All right. But here's the thing. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the sacrifice that guarantees that. We say joy to the world. We hear the angels say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Because a Savior has been born. The bedrock of what we believe about what Jesus did, we declare it in the creed, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Because the Lamb of God has come, because he was unique, because he came to a people that rejected him, and because he did what none of us could do, we can say we have the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. And that's our joy, and that's what removes all our fear. Fear not. Fear not. Because we have good news that what we could not do and what we left to our own devices was even, we would even miss, God has come in the person of Jesus Christ and accomplished for us. Hear these words of inspiration.